Welcome to CT Startup, an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. My name is Dave Menard, an entrepreneur attorney with the law firm of Merthyr Kalina, and I'm flying solo today. My co-hosts, Eric Francis, an entrepreneur with Fresh Farm Marcoponics, Mike Kaufman, an entrepreneur with Movi Interactive, and James McLaughlin, an in-house attorney, give you their very best wishes as you listen to today's interview with Applivate and their product, Sugar Track. We are making an announcement today regarding the format of the podcast. We've been listening to your feedback, and we'll be reducing the length of the podcast to make it more manageable for your lifestyle. Every three to four episodes, we'll now just focus on the interviews of the week. And every fourth or fifth episode will be a co-host roundtable where we discuss developments in the startup ecosystem, past and upcoming events, and technology news. On a programming note, we will be putting out this episode in one more before taking a two-week hiatus. This will allow us to get back on a regular schedule of putting out one episode a week and for us to address some technical issues. Thank you very much for bearing with us as we refine this podcast to put out the best possible content for you. Please take the time to review the CT Startup Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other application on which you're listening to us. Your continued feedback is greatly appreciated and listened to. Now, please enjoy listening to today's interview with Applivate. We hope you get as much knowledge out of it as we did. Talk to you next week. All right. I'm your host, Michael Kaufman. I'm sitting here with Dave Menard, Eric Francis, and our special guest, John Fitzpatrick, the co-founder and CEO of Applivate. And we're here to talk about Sugar Track. How are you doing, John? I'm good. Good morning. Excellent morning. And we are here at Happiness Lab. We're all enjoy- enjoying our uh, fine beverages. Uh, so, John, why don't you tell uh, all of our listeners a little bit about what you do? Well, we make a mobile app for people with diabetes. It's called Sugar Track. And when someone checks their blood sugar, the app automatically gets the reading from the blood sugar, uh, excuse me, from the glucose meter and uploads it to a database in the cloud and sends it out in text messages to people who care. Uh, my wife has type 1 diabetes. That's how I got into it. And every time she checks her blood sugar, I get the result in a text message. And that gives me peace of mind that she's okay. Hmm. So I want to go back from, to the, the very beginning on how you got started on this. Um, startup weekend. That's right. That's right. So I, um, I, I got an idea that I might want to start a company. Um, it sounded really interesting and exciting. And, uh, I'm, I, here in New Haven, there's a startup called C Click Fix, and I knew some of the founders, and they were making it happen. And I thought, well, you know, maybe if they can do it, I can do it too. And I was, you know, so then I had to think about, well, what kind of company would I start? And web and mobile seem to be where the opportunities are these days. I have a background in biology, I'm a former neuroscience researcher. And as I mentioned, my wife has diabetes. So, you know, maybe there's some kind of company about diabetes I can start up. And watching my wife manage her diabetes using a, a glucose meter and using an insulin pump and seeing that these these devices were storing data, you know, the idea was, well, maybe we can get the data off of those devices into the cloud and then use that data somehow to help people manage their diabetes through a website, through a mobile app. And, you know, that was, okay, okay, that's an idea. That might work. Now, what do I do? Uh, I, I was at a loss, had no idea, until I saw um, a tweet 
by Cam Lassiter, one of the co-founders of C-ClickFix. He was in my Twitter feed, and it said there's going to be a, uh, an event called Startup Weekend in New Haven. And I quickly uh, checked out the Startup Weekend New Haven website and found out what it was what it was all about. And this was, you know, this was well. Here's I have an idea. You know, are you going to do something with it or not? You know, so I registered real quick. Figured, well, you know, why not? And uh, so I went to Startup Weekend with my idea, with nothing else. Um, I'd never started a company before. I'd never actually even worked for a company before. I'd been in academia my entire career. What were you doing at the time? I was working at Yale in the uh, Office of Development, which is uh, what Yale calls fundraising. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and so you, I, I mean, you, it's not a joke. It's, uh, it's a bit of a euphemism, but, you know, you develop relationships mm-hmm. with potential donors, so. Uh, so that's, that's what I was doing. Um, and so I heard about Startup Weekend. Um, and uh, as you might know, Startup Weekend is held in cities throughout the country, throughout the world. They run from Friday evening to Sunday evening and they attract people who are interested in current starting companies. And some people like me have ideas. Some people have technical skills. You know, they can build, uh, websites. They can build mobile apps. Some people have marketing skills. And Friday evening, the people with ideas, have 60 seconds to pitch the idea. And that uh, that startup weekend, there were about 80 people all together and 30 of them pitched ideas. And after all the pitches were finished, we kind of stood around the edges of the room and everybody else decided who to work with. And some people came and worked with me and we formed a team and we worked on this uh, diabetes data idea all weekend. And then... Uh, there were, uh, I think there were 13 or 14 teams, and Sunday evening we had three and a half minutes to pitch to judges, and we won first place. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah, right. yeah. So, so, how was that uh, pitching? Was that your first time ever pitching a, uh, yes, a, a concept? Yes. How did yes, that go? Yes, it was. Well, you know, the whole... The whole weekend was like, you know, we have two and a half days. <laughs> just, just get it done. Whatever. It's not going to be perfect. So slap something together, slap a PowerPoint together, practice a little bit, and then, you know, let it roll. Yeah. Okay. So you end up winning. What happens from there? Well, we won, and there was um, some. There was a pri- some prizes. Um, we won fifteen hundred dollars in cash, twenty five hundred dollars in legal services, and six months of office space at um, a Connecticut Innovations facility, SeaTech, here in New Haven. And you know, we we got rolling with that. We worked on it a little bit uh, part time, and. Then Connecticut Innovations announced that they were going to run an accelerator program for the first time that spring. And we applied to that. We got in. Um, I think we were, there were eight, maybe nine startups that got into the, into the accelerator program called Tech Start. And we, uh, I was able, I asked my bosses and they gave me an unpaid leave of absence from my job, which was great because I didn't have to make the decision. Okay completely quit you know mm-hmm. uh i was able to try it out for 11 weeks and it went really well we got uh we made progress on the prototype of sugar track we attracted interest from customers we attracted interest from investors so at, at the end of 11 weeks i i did quit i gave notice and left yale and i've been doing this uh full-time since you know um spring of 2012 fantastic and what's happened with the software since then so it is ready to go 
We uh, we have an iPhone app ready. We have an Android app uh, following quickly on its heels. And uh, we also have a, a piece of hardware, a device. So this is a device that plugs into glucose meters. We use um, SugarTrack works with off-the-shelf blood glucose meters, the, glu- the blood glucose meters that people with diabetes already have, that they're comfortable with, that they're familiar with. These meters have data ports on them, which, you know, I think were originally put into with the idea that you will connect your glucose meter to your computer, pull the numbers off of it with some manufacturer-supplied software, you know, maybe put it in Excel, take a look at it, so you can get your numbers off. Uh, we have manufactured a Bluetooth device that plugs into this data port, and our app connects to the Bluetooth device communicates through the Bluetooth device to the meter to access the data in the meter's memory, pull it from the meter to the phone, and then the app uploads it to to our database in the cloud where our system sends out the text messages. So is that the original idea, or was there pivots along the way? So it's been, you know, a couple of years in the making. So Yeah, sure. So the... The, the startup weekend idea, which again is something we spent two days on and had you know, three minutes to present, <laughs> yeah. was uh, to focus on teenagers. And teenagers, you know, type 1 diabetes is often diagnosed at a very early age, sometimes less than a year old. And obviously, when kids are really little, the parents are doing the entire management. Uh, and, but as, um, as a child grows up, uh, they have to assume responsibility for that, and they have to learn how to manage diabetes as independent adults. Now, this is happening when there are teenagers, and you know, they don't, they don't want to be different from anybody else. They don't want to be seen as having some kind of condition. They don't want to do what their parents are telling them. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough point, and diabetes can be really dangerous. If, if your blood sugar goes out of control, the, the consequences can be catastrophic. You know, you can pass out, you can go into a coma, you can have seizures, you can even die. So it's important that these uh, the teenagers as they're transitioning into independent diabetes management um, do it do it well. Uh, and the, the Startup Weekend idea was to produce an app that's going to motivate them um, to, to learn how to manage their diabetes. And that's the track we went down. Um, but initially, we had to be able to just get the data off the meter and into the app. And so that required uh, learning a lot about Bluetooth and designing a piece of hardware. And um, so we have sort of uh, pushed that idea a little down the road, and uh, we've been working on getting the basic technology in place. And in the course of doing this, we've placed a really big, huge... Um, overarching emphasis on ease of use. So we have made it so that when somebody is using SugarTrack, they they do not have to touch their phone for the app to get the reading. Uh, the person with sugar, the person with diabetes checks blood sugar using their glucose meter. And then there is uh, one button on our device and they push that button and then they're done. Uh, that wakes up the device. The, um, the app realizes that the device has woken up, makes the Bluetooth connection, does the communications, does the uploading. And this all happens in the background with the, the phone and the app acting as a passive relay. Mm-hmm. So the, the device is very easy to use, nearly effortless. I want to talk about actually making this device. I know you're manufacturing it right right here in Connecticut, I believe, uh, Milford, correct? That's right. We work with a contract manufacturer in uh, Milford called Asda, and they have just been fantastic. 
So where do you begin? Do you come at them with the, you know, sketches, the idea? Uh, where's that relationship actually start? Yeah, well, ASDA comes in relatively late in the process. You know, you have to be all ready. Uh, we've been working with a consulting firm in Shelton called Advanced Decisions, and they have uh, designed our apps and the um, and the Bluetooth device as well. And we went through a series of prototypes. Um, the first one was ugly and clunky and sort of had wires sticking out and it was built in a um like a, a key fob case you know that's version um, one then, baby exactly exactly and but we got it working and we had uh data moving from the glucose meter to the phone and we've refined it since and now it's it's on a nice screen printed circuit board and everything <coughs> is uh automatically placed and soldered onto the circuit board um so yeah that's that's how we started how do you plan on selling this? So, because it, it, it has a hardware component, it's not just an app, right? Uh, is it planned retail stores or right. online or both? Right. right. We sell through our website, mm -hmm. and the uh, the device costs uh, forty nine ninety five, and the service is a nine ninety five per month subscription. Great. And does it track anything besides, say, just sending out? Texts. And what I'm wondering is, you know, one thing that would be, uh, I imagine, nice for uh, a diabetic would be, you know, you always have to go to the doctor's office and show them what your, you know, numbers have been. I assume you would be, it would be nice to be able to pull out the app on the phone and just show them the past month or three months or whatever the case may be. Right, right. Or you can do that through the website. So, the, okay. so your blood glucose log is available on the website. That might be a little easier on the phone. And you can, uh, you know, we have a button that lets you download that to, a, you know, an Excel file. And you can do whatever you want with it after that. So anytime you talk about health data, I mean, I just am curious, is there any uh, HIPAA regulations you have to be aware of or you have to bypass? What's, what's the situation? Uh, certainly. The, um, the, the quick answer to that is we comply with HIPAA. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, he uh, does comply. <laughs> the, uh, it is a complicated topic. And it, it's interesting. It's it's evolving as more health data gets online. We um, to just get into a bit of detail. HIP, uh, consumer generated health data is not actually the province of HIPAA, and that's governed. It's actually overseen by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. It's more the the data that your doctor generates. So you measure your own blood sugar. That's not a HIPAA thing. Your doctor measures your blood sugar. Then that's covered by HIPAA, right? So, so okay. I'm just nodding in agreement yeah, here. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so the the data can 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 your Bluetooth device transfer other data? Because it, 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 it would to me it would seem like there's a lot of medical devices. Like one, so a couple questions. One is this technically a medical device or is this a data transmission device? Uh, another complicated topic with a quick answer <laughs> and the short answer <laughs> is. That, uh, <laughs> We, uh, the short answer is we comply with FDA regulations. Okay. <laughs> the, um, and the, whether or not this is actually a medical device, the answer changed about a year ago in which, when, uh, FDA in, is, issued new guidance. Um, the previously the app and the device were considered, uh, class one medical devices. And as this, you know, as, as technology evolves very quickly, it's tough for regulators to keep up. I think the FDA is doing a pretty good job. And uh, last year, they they backed away from regulation and said they weren't going to regulate 
though they reserve the right to, um, apps that do what SugarTrack does and devices that do what our Bluetooth device does. It, well, it really only makes sense. It's not it, it's not a device where you're not testing the blood sugar. You're not actually you know performing a medical procedure. Yeah. You're just taking the information and making yeah. it more readily available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one one situation. <clears throat> Excuse me. In which it is regulated, and that is if if this data is going to be used for quote immediate clinical action, hmm. then it then we need FDA approval. Interesting. Yeah. But if it's for quote eventual review by a physician, uh, there's no regulation. So can you give us a little uh, a little tutorial on how it actually works? I know he, John actually brought the device, so we're actually going to take some pictures and post them in the show notes, uh, so everyone listening could uh, take a look. Sure. I have uh, in my hands a pouch that is um, five inches by three inches, maybe. <laughs> um, and this is something that every person with diabetes has. And the pouch uh, zips open and contains a blood glucose meter. And also in this are uh, a canister of test strips, which is a disposable item that you need to uh, test your blood sugar. You don't actually apply the blood to the meter. You apply it to this disposable test strip. And there's also a little spring-loaded device, which you insert a small needle into, and that's what you use to poke your finger and squeeze out a drop of blood that you then apply to the test strip. Um, and we add to this uh, our Bluetooth device, which is a black box that measures uh, 2.4 by 1.4 by 0.6 inches and weighs <laughs> one ounce. Um, you, you, know really, you really know those facts. <laughs> those dimensions are on point. <laughs> <laughs> well, small and light are important because it's going to go in with this thing that's something that people are carrying around all the time. Uh, we want it to fit in this little pouch. Uh, we want it to zip up in this pouch. It stays in the pouch. The, at setup time, the person with diabetes plugs it into the meter. It stays plugged in. They do not have to unplug and plug it at every time. And when somebody checks blood sugar, they go through their regular process, which they're doing five to ten times a day. And they, uh, they, once the meter has made the measurement from the blood, they, there's a single button on our device that they push, and then they're done. So that wakes up the device. Um, the, the user doesn't have to interact with the device anymore. It wakes up the device. The, um, the, the phone realizes that the device is woken up and is available for communication, uh, makes the connection. Um, and then our app, our sugar track app talks through the device to the meter to get the result of the blood sugar measurement. Um, and the phone does not have to be touched during this. Uh, the person with diabetes can leave their phone in their pocket, in their bag. If it's a, if it's a child, they can stay in a school desk or a book bag. Um, and we've, we've worked very hard to make this easy to use and not to further complicate uh, or add on to the work that somebody with diabetes has to do yeah. to manage their condition. It's as easy as just pushing a button. Single button push. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what did you do for initial market testing? Well, we, we talked to people, mm -hmm. um, the parents of kids with diabetes. We're focusing first on the parents of kids with diabetes because that's where the need is greatest. Uh, parents of kids with diabetes, when the child is at school or over friends just out of their, out of their immediate presence, there's, uh, there's a lot of stress and anxiety and fear because diabetes can turn catastrophic so quickly. So we, uh, you know, you don't have to, 
go very far till you find somebody who's affected by diabetes. Um, and just through our network, we were talking to people and it was like, oh, you know, I, you know, my, my daughter goes to school with somebody who has diabetes. And we, we got on the phone and we talked to them about what it was like. And also connecting to the greater New Haven diabetes community, um, largely through the, the office of the JDRF, um, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation here in New Haven, and going to their support groups and listening to the, what the parents were struggling with. Um, and there are, uh, there are also lots of diabetes focused, uh, Facebook groups in right. which, uh, uh, parents of kids with diabetes support each other. Um, you'd be amazed. I mean, okay. somebody will post at 3 a.m. saying, Oh, my daughter's blood sugar is really low. I can't get it up. I'm not getting any sleep. I'm going crazy. And they get support yeah. right I, away. I could yeah. imagine that it's a very tight knit uh, community. Very much so. And, and yeah. I mean, I know my, uh, my late uncle, he had, uh, diabetes. And, you know, and I remember, uh, being in Florida and, you know, having to rush to the, to, on the way home from the, the, um, the airport and having to get orange juice because he's going in shock and everything like that. And it's, yeah. it's, you, you, you definitely know it, it's just, it's almost like with cancer and a lot of other stuff, it's like one person away. You, you, yeah. you really know so many people that have it. Now, yeah. one, one thing that's interesting. So type one versus type two. So, I mean, there's right. where, where is the difference in there? And I mean, couldn't, couldn't it be used for, cause I mean, I know a lot of, you know, um, children are type two, you know, getting, getting that pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. explain that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have focused where we found the greatest need, you know, yeah. when you're starting out, when you're small, when exactly. you don't yeah. have a ton of money, you want to produce a specific product for a specific target. Uh, and so we have produced this, uh, this notification system for the parents of kids with diabetes. Um, the long-term value, uh, is in uh, is in storing the data in the cloud and doing analysis on it. Um, but you know you you can't get somebody to use a product saying, well, you know, use it for six months and then you're going to get something out of it, right? <laughs> Once we have a bunch of numbers that we can analyze, you have to give them a reason to give you the first number, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what the notifications do. Um, type one versus type two. So the type one is generally the one with the the really dangerous short-term consequences. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, type 2 is, is plenty dangerous as well. Um, but, uh, you know, type, everybody with type 1 is on insulin, and insulin is a, a deadly substance. Yeah. Um, and if you give yourself too much, you can kill yourself. So uh, we've, we've focused on those needs. Um, but... People with type two need to be logging their numbers, need to have their, uh, their blood sugar history in the cloud so that you can see how well you're managing it. And, uh, we've made that more or less effortless. So mm-hmm. that, that market is something we have our eye on as well. Okay. And is this all, has this been bootstrapped to this point or have you seen, uh, seeked any outside funding? Yeah, we've received funding, uh, from a number of, uh, state and New Haven programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the accelerator program through, that was run through Connecticut Innovations. We received a $25,000 loan through that. There's a program called the Small Business Incubator Program run by the Connecticut Center for Advanced Technology. We received a $30,000 grant from that. Um, through DECD, they have the Small Business Express program. We received a $20,000 grant through them. And we've also raised money from uh, friends and family. Fantastic. I mean, that's a great lesson um, for a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there is that fu- funding d- doesn't all come through one source. You know? Right. It, right. It, you know, a lot of people immediately think of venture funding and they see this, maybe one venture fund is their savior. But the fact is, even yeah. when venture funds invest, they usually involve multiple funds in a that's deal. That's right. Certainly. 
Now, ex- talk a little bit about the accelerator program. Like when you were going into that program, what was it that you were looking for? What did that program provide? Like, you know, how did it? Because because you said you come from academia, right? Right. right. And now, and, and so this is kind of a multi-part question. But where did did you go in with a team? Did you pick up some people, team members from Startup Weekend? Like, how did? Because you kept on saying we. So did, was that right, like right, the whole right. team going in there? Right. So? Right. So um, when we uh, started the accelerator program, we were team four. And so I went in with, uh, with three co-founders at that point. And the accelerator program provided a lot of mentorship, a lot of help on, uh, telling your story so you can pitch to investors, um, uh, putting together financial projections so you can make a case that if somebody does invest, eventually yep. they're going to, uh, earn a good return on, on their investment. Okay. Now the three co-founders are still with you. Is everybody together? Or? We, we've parted ways with two of them. So, uh, it is myself and one co-founder right now. Okay. I handle the business side of things and he's a, a web technical guy. Okay. And, you know, certainly you only talk to the extent that you're comfortable, but, uh, but it's our job to ask you some semi uncomfortable questions. Uh, one is that uh, you had said, uh, back at startup weekend, I think you had, uh, seven people who were interested in working with you. Right. And now it's down to two of you. That is an extremely common thing. I have, uh, companies that I work with who go through that all the time. Uh, how has that process been? Has it been difficult separating? Were there any interesting reasons why people separated? Um, just curious, because this is something that companies need to know about and that they're going to go through. Everybody faces it. I mean, there's, there's not one company that hasn't faced some sort of issue with that. Certainly, certainly. Um, and so we, you know, as I mentioned, we had a group of uh, eight altogether and startup weekend uh after we won startup weekend one person didn't want to continue at all you know going to startup weekend for the sake of going to startup weekend um a few weeks after that another person um uh, a hardware engineer um decided that uh what we wanted to do couldn't be done um so he left uh and then um i'd say a, a month or so after that uh, two other people decided that they didn't want to pursue this. Um, that was, their separation was a little more difficult because we had already formed a legal entity. Okay. Um, so at, at that point, you, you know, you have some, you, you yeah. know, <laughs> equity had been handed out and we hadn't actually gotten that far. Um, but still, you know, there needed to be a legal document, um, underlying that separation. Sure. Um, and then, uh, uh, after several months, um, we parted ways with two others, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. And, but, but all of those were, like you said, at some point it becomes a little more difficult. Either they're involved in the intellectual property or they are, they've done work for the company or they've received equity in the company. And That's all those right. things need to be uh, either handed back to the company or repurchased or you know, right, having other right. issues resolved. Right. So. Well, if you've, that's, that's certainly true. Uh, if you have formed the company and you've really done what you should do uh, at the time of the formation of the company, then you can handle those things. Um, our attorney, when we first started out, one of the very first things he said was, you need to nail down the intellectual property and make sure that all the intellectual property is assigned to the company so that the individuals do not, do not mm-hmm. possess the, possess the intellectual property through a, a document called an assignment of inventions. And, you know, thanks to him, we did that and that made, um, you know, these separations okay. smoother. Uh, as far as equity goes, uh, you have a vesting schedule so that you, um, you actually get Full rights, full ownership of your equity uh, over a, a, a time period, which generally is four years. 
um, so that I mean, you don't want to, you know, if you're starting a company with, say, four people and you split it equally, so everybody owns 25% of the company, and the day after you sign that agreement, somebody walks away, well, then they sh- really shouldn't. It's not fair for them to own 25% of the company when the other three are going to be busting their butts, uh, making it happen. So that's where you have a vesting schedule. So if somebody uh, quits, they walk away from their equity. The uh, I know that uh, Mike and Eric, you've gone through this on uh, on you know different sides of the ball as well, um, and and certainly uh, at the the attorney that advised you uh, certainly did a great job. I mean that's locking down the IP is first and having not just vesting schedules, but if you have an LLC, an operating agreement, or a corporation, sort of a shareholders agreement that determines even what happens after somebody has vested equity, how to uh, how to resolve issues when people leave. I mean. At the beginning, when you start a company, it's usually something where, you know, you go in and you say, oh, no, no, we're all in this together. Like, you know, let's push off operating agreements and everything like this to further down the road. But, you know, from my past experiences, I've learned firsthand, you know, it's something that you really need to take care of at the beginning. And that's why you need someone like Dave Menard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is not a Dave Menard plug opportunity, but no, but it's, it's, it's nothing to be, it's nothing to joke around about. It's something that's imperative to the future of the company because just like everyone's, Eric said himself, you know, this is something that happens time and time again and it's something that really needs to be taken care of at the beginning rather than later down the line well you also have to resolve it while people are still talking to each other you Correct. don't want to get into <laughs> yeah. these discussions exactly. when after something happens yeah. uh, at which point it becomes very difficult yeah. if not impossible Absolutely. to resolve and it's kind of the last thing you want to do when you're starting up you've got this yeah. idea <laughs> yeah. you get your eyes on this huge market and you want to charge forward and build your idea and get out there and get millions of people yeah. using it and you know then you've got to go through these legal agreements and they're, you know, they're 40 pages long and written in practically a different language and you're incurring <laughs> lawyer's fees and, you know, you want to be using this and, but, but you've got to do it. Well, that's why we get a bad rap as yeah. lawyers. The, uh, you know, you know, I mean, everybody else is saying plan for success and we're like plan for yeah. failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, you definitely have to look at both sides. No, you do. And I mean, I, you know, probably about four or five years ago, I naively kind of went to a, a startup where it was, Stuff was promised, stuff was promised, kind of very, uh, very lax legal agreements kind of a thing. And, and at the end of the day, um, when I was, when I was leaving, it could, thank God the people that I was working with kept their agreement because it was very, it was something, it was, it was more of a handshake kind of agreement and, uh, kind of moving forward, um, just working with some other companies. It's, it's, you don't want to do that. And it also creates kind of this, this awkwardness. And if you're, yeah. if you don't put that all on the table right from yeah. the beginning, there's an awkward kind of feeling with everybody because it's not in writing. Everybody doesn't have, you know, kind of bound by certain yeah. agreements. So it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting process. Yeah. And to add to that, you know, I mean, you probably do trust the people that you're starting to work you, well, with. Well, you have to. And they're probably trustworthy, but there's no guarantee they're going to be there. Right. And that's, you, you put it in, in writing so that in case people change and somebody who doesn't quite see it, you know, is bound to an agreement. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the number one thing to remind people is that life happens. You yeah, know, people exactly. move on, they get married, they get a job offer they can't beat. They, uh, you know, they wind up moving across the country and they may have the best of intentions when they do, but it's just not going to work out for the company's hat. And, and, you know, I, I think is from the attorney's point of view, it's a little bit different. I mean, we're not, you know, 
the way we're supposed to look at it is we would look at it on behalf of you, what, what works for the company? Not, even if it's a company with one founder and it's only one person in the company, you still have to make that distinction is what's in the best interest of the company, not necessarily what's in the best interest of that one founder. Um, in, in with one founder situations, that's practically never, you know, that's never really a difference, but it's, uh, you know, the thing is, is, is what allows the company to keep moving forward through times of difficulty and can always keep making steps forward without being bogged down. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody involved. Um, so it seems like you've actually, you know, John, you've actually had some great success in Connecticut. I mean, you, you were working at Yale. You went to a startup weekend. You've gotten funding through a few different Connecticut agencies. Um, and, and private uh, foundations in Connecticut. Well, what's been your experience working in the Connecticut startup community? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of life here, a lot uh, lots of excitement. Um, and I I think I'm lucky to to live in New Haven because uh, you know maybe maybe I'm just a, a booster. Uh, <laughs> I I think New Haven is is probably the most active location in Connecticut for startup stuff. And we're lucky to have the Grove where uh, we can meet other people that are doing this. It's sort of a center of activity. And um, and we can find people that we can collaborate with uh, and, you know, marketers and web developers and other entrepreneurs that we can uh, that we can learn from and find out what their experiences are like. You're actually, uh, you run the Startup Lunch. I do, I do. We have a weekly lunch uh, uh, on Wednesdays at noon at uh, a restaurant a couple blocks away called Sitar. They have a fantastic Indian lunch buffet, and it's open to anybody who wants to come. And uh, we have an email list, and we, you know we we meet every week, um, and we talk about startup stuff and catch up on what's going on with each other's startups. Yeah, I've been there a couple times. I can vouch for it, and the and the and the buffet at Sitar as well. <laughs> you definitely need a nap if you eat as much as me. <laughs> So are you a, are you a native of Connecticut? I'm a Rhode Island native. I've okay. been in, uh, in the New Haven area for 14 years, um, and in New Haven itself for 13. Years. So, so did it, was it Yale that kind of dra- I, dragged I, you over here? I did. I came for a lab job at Yale in the Department of Neurobiology. Okay. That's what happens. You get sucked in and you can't leave. <laughs> It's sort of like the gravity <laughs> well of Connecticut. Yeah. It's kind so, of like Shake Shack as well. That's right. <laughs> so, so explain, um, so your whole life, you know, your kind of professional life you were saying was, was in academia, right? right? So like, what's the, what do you like about the transition to the startup world? What do you kind of miss from the academia? I mean, what, what is, how's that transition been? Well, I, I like, I like, uh, I guess being, a what else to say? Being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I used to do, um, academic research and you're sort of within a big, uh, a, a bureaucracy is not the right word, you know, a structured environment. Um, and there are, you know, there are professors and I was a postdoc and there are grad students and then there's, uh, an ac- a structure of an academic institution and a department with a chairman. And then there's the NIH, which is giving grants and, you know, you know, they're, they're reviewing grants and the grants you know, have so much money. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, you know, it seems like the NIH budget is shrinking and there's a review process and you're, you're kind of within this constricted, structure that has grown up over decades centuries um and with um when you're doing a startup you're just you're kind of out on the sidewalk all alone you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you make it happen and but what's neat about it is that there are other people who um 
who want to see you make it happen because it's in their interest, you know? So we, uh, you know, we have uh, an attorney and it's in the attorney's interests for us to succeed because that'll lead to more business for him. We have an accountant, we have an insurance agent. They want to see us succeed because it's in their interests. So you find yourself crafting all of these win-win situations and uh, surrounding yourself by service providers, by partners, by colleagues, uh, all working together because it's all in your interest to work together. It's also, uh, it's interesting. I would just put in that, I think that for the people who work in this community, it's, it's sort of beyond a financial interest as well. Uh, there's, you know, we've mentioned a lot of times on this podcast, what a great community it is, how exciting it is to be part of it, how, how exciting it is to see it develop. Um, because it's, it's developed more in the past three or four years than, than I think at any time prior. Um, and so it's good to, I think for, for the people who really spend a lot of time in the community and attend the events and such, and that includes, uh, service providers such as attorneys, accountants, and so on, there's, a, there's also just an interest in seeing it succeed and, and as a whole. And then to, to see companies such as yours, John, could come forward and succeed. It's a really good thing. So I, uh, I, I, it's one of the things that I like about, being in this area um, is is to see how tight knit it is, even among uh, people who would otherwise just be in here for a financial interest. Yeah, sure, sure. And it's you know it doesn't happen overnight. I think we've made a lot of progress in three or four years, and we have some great success stories like like C Click Fix, like um, Hire One, um, and we're you know we're all working toward that. Uh, let's say a really really big win of you know a big acquisition of a of a New Haven or a Connecticut and a Connecticut born startup. Connecticut has some great success stories in the startup startup area. So is this your only um, kind of foray into a startup ecosystem? Is in New Haven? I mean, have you have you been to Boston? Have you been to New York? Have you? Sure, sure. I've, I've, I've been to Boston. I've, uh, you know, I've pitched to an angel group in Providence. I've pitched to an angel group in the Worcester area. Um, I have, uh, been to New York to speak to, with people and you know, I, I, I check things out. Um, it's, but you know, you, I can't take the train to Boston or New York, uh, twice yeah, exactly, a week yeah. <laughs> to, you know, to go to, go to their events and really become a part of that scene. Mm-hmm. You know. So. If you could, something we ask of just about everybody here, if you could pass on a bit of wisdom to people who were in the situation that you were in, where they're in a non-entrepreneur position and they're looking to start up a company, they're thinking, I've got an idea and I think it's worthwhile and I want to dedicate the rest of my life and health to this, uh, what would you uh, recommend to them? Uh, I, uh, I know what you're getting yourself into because it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy and you can expect a lot of pain. <laughs> so, so is that, is, is, that a, is that an easy way to say that there's been ups and downs and, and some failures in between? And, and well, so you know, because because people they think about startups and they think about the the success stories, right? Because the press has a you know a success bias. Um, so, you know, I'm going to start up a company and I'm going to be Steve Jobs, Mike Zuck, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm going to be Jeff Bezos. Um, uh, but they don't hear about the people who are just grinding it out and not getting paid and uh, and hitting technical hurdles and you know, getting something in place and trying to get it off the ground and it, it is not easy you know Pain. luckily it's luckily we <laughs> luckily you're also talking to two entrepreneurs that know that exact pain. <laughs> so we, we feel you on that yeah. i'm constantly in pain but i'm hey, in love with the pain you well, know you're supposed, I mean, to, like you're supposed it, to you're supposed to like live uncomfortable right because it's, it's frankly not, it's painful to look at you I, <laughs> I mean that is for sure we'll set up the desk next time so i'm facing the other way 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to prepare for reality. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of rainbows and 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 falsified stories that surround entrepreneurship on a whole and they glorify it when in reality they don't really understand unless you get involved that it's a real grind. Yeah, yeah, very much so. so I think yeah, I think so. you're absolutely correct in yeah. saying that prepare for the pain. <laughs> and, and and you know, Guard your health. You may need to buy a uh, sugar track kit. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, John, people want to find Applevate and Sugar Track. Where do they go? Yeah, sugartrack.com. Uh, it is spelled, uh, it, is, it has been spelled every possible way. I'll tell you the right way to spell it S H U G A T R A K. And you'll, you'll see our website. And um, if you are somebody who has diabetes, there is a way to uh, sign up for our service there. Excellent. And if anyone's down here Wednesday afternoons for a little startup lunch, that's at 12 o'clock. Uh, which street's that on? Uh, it's at the restaurant is Sitar. It's at the corner of Orange and Grove. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming in. Really appreciated it. Thank you. This has been really fun. Excellent. You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Kevin Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Murtha Kalina, LLP.